Hello, everyone. It is the Ides of July. The Julides. And, uh, well, <laughs> All right, we get... <laughs> I j- just came up with that as I was saying it. And there was a part of me that thought I shouldn't because it's bad and terrible and I'm a monster. But then I did. So what does that tell you about me? It's Trash Baked Ratio. I'm Jackson Tyler. With me, as always, Destiny, Kyle, and Matt. You know, you should let us introduce ourselves so people know which voice is which. With me, as always, Gesture. That's Destiny. gesturing to you guys through the internet. That was very, very clever. This is an audio podcast. You're supposed to know. You don't even know what medium we're working in. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> You're oh, the worst. I said my name. No, Destiny been doing okay. But Matt's job on this podcast is to heal me to shit. Hello, I'm the one who cares about quality control. I'm Matthew. So you care about quality control so you could just ruin the podcast? I'm making it better. Mm, sure. We gotta go through the dark to get to the dawn. Mm-hmm. You're a liar. <laughs> you That's how days work. <laughs> he's, he's got a point there. And finally... Oh, that, that's me. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay, I forgot we were doing the the invisible gesturing thing over the internet, so... Yeah. Hi, I'm Kyle. Hey, Kyle. How's it going, everyone? How's everyone doing? It's very tiring, because um, it was 4th of July weekend, and there are, are a lot of people at the inn, and they, they don't know how to aim at the toilet. When I get married, when and if, well, if I'm ever just, like, in sort of some domestic relationship with someone, there will be a rule for the household, regardless of what gender the person is, no, no standing up and peeing that's not allowed. Yeah, just stock books. What? Just stock books. It's a perfect time to check Twitter, do whatever. When what? you're sitting. When you're sitting on the pot. Oh, okay, I get it. Right. <laughs> okay, yes. I used to read in the toilet all the time. I still I do. School reading I still do all the time, too. So. Oh, my God. I play games. I don't go that I far. I journal. I'm intense. It's horrible. Everyone hates me because you only have one bathroom here. And they think I'm like taking up all this time. Like, stop reading and just keep going. I don't have much to add about my toilet reading etiquette, but we used to keep magazines there, but then they stopped making magazines in the late 80s. After that, we don't take our Kindles into the loo, so... I take my Kindle (laughs) into the bathroom all the time. Gross! It's probably fine. It's probably fine. I take it in the yeah, bath with me too. That's fine everywhere. That's not a like hygiene problem. That's just playing with fire. You put it in a baggie. Okay. Have you have you dropped it? Have you dropped your Kindle in the No, water? but I also make sure it's in a baggie. Okay. So like oh. you seal up the baggie, it's clear, you can read, it's fine. Okay. I take it out of the case, because if it gets wet, I don't want water, like, trapped in the case. Mm-hmm. I'm coming around this way of thinking, but I'm not going to go there myself. Reading in the tub is a sacred rite that I will never give up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kyle, well, well, explain to me, as the British person, what the fuck is 4th of July as, like, a m- day? I know what it is as a holiday, but what is it? What happens? What do you do on it? Wait, Pop- why are you asking me? I'm Chinese. Oh, because I've already asked Madame Destiny, and they don't care. Oh, okay. I can actually, I can actually explain it if you want. 
Okay. Well, I, I, maybe we can both do it and compare because I imagine it might be slightly different in the Midwest than it is. On the okay, so six weeks ago, okay. a bunch of circus tents went up all over the city in which you can go <laughs> to a bunch of tables and buy fireworks from children who apparently have nothing better to do than to make, I'm sure, not minimum wage selling you fireworks. That's step one. Okay. They're everywhere. Like, multiple ones on a block. They're just all over the place. Yep. That's same over here. Like, October time, fireworks stores start showing up in random places. Okay. Uh, Stores start start stocking way more meat and watermelons. Okay. And uh, all of the decorations become red, white, and blue. Is there any specific meat? Is there like the turkey of July Fourth? Mostly beef. No, anything, anything. Hamburger. Yeah, mostly anything you grill. Okay. Oh, so, so a grill is the traditional meal of July Fourth. Yeah, grilled food, like okay. a like grilled like uh, hamburgers and hot dogs and potato salad and watermelon is like July Fourth food. Is it? Do you? Is it traditionally uh, hang out with family day? I know it's not for you, Matt, but is it that- is. It is. Actually, as far as I can tell, it's usually like someone is designated the house that the party is at, and then you just have like either extended family or you have like a block party where it's like everyone in the neighborhood kind of hangs out on the street. It's just around someone's house. Uh, usually, the person who bought the most fireworks. Uh, <laughs> well, wow. yeah, it's 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 bigger than individual families, at least in my experience. Okay, how how has it been for Kyle this year? It's actually, in my previous experience, not that much different. So I guess there is overlap between East Coast and um, Midwest uh, traditions in terms of the 4th of July. I think maybe the only difference is that because I guess there are larger metropolitan areas, uh, the cities do a much make a much bigger deal out of doing parades and, and um, citywide things. Provincetown and specifically... Because the whole we didn't have a pride parade apparently, um, which I am not sorry about by any means, um, because the whole town is pride parade. So instead, they they do stuff for Fourth of July and Bear Week, um, which apparently is its own designated week. What um, is Bear Week? It's it's the week where all the bears come. Like the of the the subgroup of of gay men, it's like the tend they tend to be older. They tend to be. Um, bigger built, um, hairier. But like, when is it? Is it before the Fourth oh. of July? It's the week after. Oh, okay, it's after. Yeah. Um, but for Fourth of July, there was there was a parade here, and there were lots of gay clubs doing theme things. Like the this there's this once a week party called Fag Bash um, that happens at a club nearby. And each week has a theme, and this past week was Red, White, and Banshee Girl. I don't know what a Banshee oh, Girl Jesus. is. That's, That's, uh, it sounds bad, whatever it is. This, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like an old, like, um, oh, goodness. Like, it's like an old way of saying, like, hood rat, or like a, it's... <sighs> I just Googled it. Jesus Christ, not okay. It's, it's like, it's a more of a, it's a old, old... Black yeah. thing. Uh huh. Well, like everything in the gay community, black people once had it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that is true. Accurate. Yeah, shall shall but, we talk about? They, 
Oh, sorry. That's fine. I was going to cut off the 4th of July thing, but if you got more to say... Oh, no, I was just going to say Fact Bash is, you know, it's, I think, intentionally politically incorrect. I know, I got that much. That doesn't mean yeah, I, get, gross. I care for it, though. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, also, like every holiday, there's a Twilight Zone marathon, and I'm pretty sure somewhere was showing Independence Day, like, multiple times yesterday. I haven't seen Independence Day in, like, a decade. So. Uh, you shouldn't. I it's a bad times. movie. I, I like the part where it's a Jewish road movie for 20 minutes, but apart from that, yeah, yeah that's about it. <laughs> so, no. for this banshee thing, did anybody dress in blackface? No, no. That's amazing. That's, yeah, the, the fact that you can that's... have that name, but not also get the people dressing in blackface, that's a, this is, that, that's impressive. It's a tight yeah, to walk. Well, drag though, but then well, no... I know in like drag culture, that's like a look, but it's so '80s that I'm surprised. That... Well, no, I'm not surprised because everybody's into Paris is burning again. The so the '80s y'all never should, died. Y'all should take a look at my essay about how I talked about Paris is burning's legacy being only about language and appropriation. Yeah, I read it. It was good. Thank you. Good. I, I probably would have been a little more firebrandy about. The legacy that movie has left, but you know, that's just how you. Do uh, it. I, I think I think your I think your points I think your points are salient. Who wants to talk about movies? Has anyone seen anything? I saw. I watched. I'll go. Uh, you want to go ahead, Destiny? Or? Oh well, we could both talk about it since we both watched. Okay, it. I will. Uh, actually, we watched two movies. I'll take the first one. How about that? Yeah. Okay, I watched Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, which is the 1993 New Line Cinema produced, and that's important, ninth entry into the Friday the 13th franchise. This is the first one New Line did after they bought, basically bought the franchise from Paramount? I don't remember. Uh, anyway, it, it uh, starts with Jason, who's murdered eight movies worth of people, getting shot to hell by the FBI and then blown up because he's a serial killer. But then... Yep. No, they're like, hey, this guy's murdered literally 83 people. We're gonna take him out on force. And that part's great and amazing. But then it kind of devolves into, like, this left turn for the lore in which Jason is actually an idea that lives inside the body of Jason Voorhees, like the man from the hockey mask. Are you telling me that Jason's mimetic legacy? And is no, it's, it's not a mimetic legacy. It's a weird like worm that like he aliens into other people's mouths. And then it's like this body snatchers thing. And then they introduce Jason's other relatives. Like it's a late Halloween sequel or something. It's full of a lot of ideas from other horror movies at that point And, feels really desperate and it's not a bad movie but it's a really bad friday the 13th movie and uh i did not enjoy it oh i know you've had a you've had a journey through the friday the 13th movies jason x is next i love jason x so i'm very excited oh well when you get to that i'll probably watch that because i've got that to watch i know i'll enjoy that yep destiny what were you gonna talk about or do you have any i know you, you watched it too do you have any uh final friday feels because um, I'm enjoying well, your progress through them. This was better than Jason Takes Manhattan. That's albeit, to be fair. Yeah, I was going to say, it's still terrible. Uh, really, really terrible. Um, In a good way or a bad way? 
Well, I mean, it's like, it's a fun movie, but since they pretty much rewrite the entire history and um, how Jason works, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense as a Friday the 13th film. But it's still entertaining. I mean, it's way more uh, ambitious than just a, hey, Jason's going to kill a bunch of camp counselors movie. But then, like, the whole body transfer horror stuff is weird and out of place. Mm-hmm. That's cool. What did what did you see, Destiny? Um, I don't know what he's talking about. We didn't watch another movie, did we? You talking I about guess Jurassic could... World? I saw Jurassic World weeks and weeks ago, but I guess we could talk about I'm, it. I'm trying to just think. Matt, what was the second movie you were implying? Because we can't figure this out. <laughs> We watched the 1983 movie, The Ballad of Narayama. Oh my god, I totally forgot we watched that. <laughs> what year did you say that came out? 1983. No way, that, that had to have been a 50s movie. No, there's also a 50s movie that's inspired by, but this was a 1983 film. Wow. Um, yeah, The Battle of Narayama Wait, was... Wait, you know what? I actually don't know. Well, let me look it up and see, because there's no way that was an 80s movie. Well, the poster looked right, but no, you're right. This is probably the 58 movie. Yeah, I'm pretty the sure. The posters are almost identical. That's my confusion. Sorry. Okay. No, it's okay. Yeah, we watched the... 1958 version of The Ballad of Narayama. Yes, which was directed by Kisuki Kinoshida about this um, tradition of... Obasute. Um, yeah, which is uh, abandoning your elder once they hit age 70 in this tiny Japanese village. And there's this really beautiful, um, I almost said mechanic. <laughs> there's this really beautiful framing device of the movie being set, like almost like a play. And the set <laughs> around. It is and, it, it is specifically like modeled off Kabuki theater with like song and the way the sets pull back and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's super beautiful, um, and it uh, is all about this man who doesn't want to abandon his mother, but like it's the tradition. So it's kind of him just griefing out about this day that's inevitable. In the meantime, like, the village is starving, and his kids are, like, sick of fighting over food, and uh, he gets a new wife, and she loves his mother. So it's like, it's, it's, it's like a generational tale about values, but also about this really upsetting thing. Yep. Also, just as, like, film as a historical document sprung out of the theater. I think it's really interesting because it tries to bring it back to those roots, but in an entirely filmic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it does that really well. Also of note, if, if you're following along on the Wikipedia, this was the last movie Roger Ebert added to his great movies list before he died. Really? Yep. That's fascinating. Uh, I'm trying to compare it to the 80s film. And yeah, they do a really, really similar uh, yeah poster. <laughs> yeah. yeah, holy crap! But there's way more um, sex, and it's more of a vignette film, apparently. But anyway, the the most interesting thing to me about it was um, this 
like interesting thing right at the end where they just kind of flash forward to present day Japan and there's just a sign marking where people used to do this uh, abandonment thing and I thought that was interesting and I don't know how like prevalent this was in old time Japan I don't know if it actually happened I know there was a legend and um, we read a book about it called Dendera about a hypothetical situation wherein a bunch of women resist the um, ritual and form a village of survivors and they have to fight a bear and it is the best book ever. It's <laughs> cool. Uh, I haven't seen that, but I would, it sounds cool. I might do that one day. Uh, Kyle. Kyle, you've watched every movie. What have you watched recently? Um... I've watched almost every movie, but um, I'll be quick about this because uh, the Provincetown International Film Festival happened a couple of weeks ago, and that was a lot of fun, and I saw some good, good stuff there. Um, I saw Noah Baumbach's new film, Mistress America, which I think is um, really... I remember a lot of people talking about this melancholic undertone to Francis Ha that I didn't really notice the first 20 times that I watched it, and then... It, and then past 20 I started becoming more aware of that tone and in Mistress America despite the fact that it's screwball comedy vibe is much more overt and much more heightened than it was in Francis Ha. Francis Ha kind of blends the style and with, with the context of the story um, Mistress America also is much more overt about how sad and how melancholic it is and I think it's Interesting to think of Francis Ha uh, while we're young and Mistress America as this triptych of these older people or these people who are getting older and severely disappointed with their lives and disappointed with the decisions that they've made. And uh, I, I think thinking them as, as a trilogy, so to speak, um, is, is a nice way to think about it. Um, and I think really elevates um, while we're young, which I liked a lot anyways, but a lot of people think a little less of that one. Um, Tangerine, the Sean Baker film about uh, trans sex workers. That is, I think, probably one of the best films I'll see this year that I really loved. Um, it's it's um, heartbreakingly sad at times, but also incredibly witty. The two um, leads, um, Kitana Rodriguez and um, Maya Taylor... Um, they are absolutely fantastic in the film, and they really ground the, the film in, in a kind of um, emotional realism, um, despite the fact that the world that's surrounding them is uh, slightly heightened. Um, and I, that one, you really make an effort to see. It, it, that one is definitely the one to see. Yeah, I've heard um, nothing but sound... great things about that. Yeah, it, it's super great. Um, Do I Sound Gay, which is a really interesting documentary by David Thorpe, um, about the uh, quote-unquote gay voice. Um, and it's act- I was kind of expecting it to be very piecemeal, a fun, um, informative little documentary, but it is actually very cognizant of, of this idea of gender and, and orientation as a performance. And I like that there was some, some nice formal uh, inventiveness going on there. So I think the one thing that they slipped up on, that they didn't explore to the full extent, what I was most impressed with was how thorough the documentary was, with this one exception, talking about race. Because the, the, 
the conventional or the recognized gay voice is very much um, uh, attached to this idea of whiteness, and they don't talk about that, which was a little disappointing given the fact that the rest of it seemed so thorough and and, and seemed so um, uh, self-aware. But they, they slipped up on the race thing, which was a little disappointing. Um, and then I saw Inside Out, which was pretty great. But the short film that comes before it is trash. <laughs> I would say it's very pretty, but yeah, I didn't like super care for it. Um, lava? Is it called Lava? Is that what it's called? I've yeah. not, I've not I, seen it's, it. It's very, very well executed as far as like the visual aesthetic, but mm. I think it's... I, I have... The more that I think about it, the more that I hate it. Because initially I was just kind of like, this is trash that looks very pretty. But I, I, the heteronormativity of it doesn't actually bother me as much as this simpering idea that if you're single, you're supposed to feel bad. Mm, I uh, I would also say the heteronormativity is kind of bad. but I like the whole... Uh, I liked the singing. I liked the volcano aesthetic because I love volcanoes I thought the romance part of it I mean that's the whole point but it was it just wasn't for me but like if I were a little kid and I saw that I probably would have loved the heck out of it because it was it was kind of sweet you're telling me that sometimes Pixar things rely on this outdated and toxic idea of what an ideal family should be you're telling me this shocked uh, I say then see the movie that follows it, which also has that, but it's but you, much better. You know, <laughs> oh, no, what, I'm excited though, for it. On a sciency level, it's kind of cool how they show you how underwater 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 volcanoes are made. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I hated like, the song. Oh, I thought, I thought the song was pretty because they like I don't know. I it is very catchy because I've had it playing in my head the last ten rooms I've cleaned. Like, when do you get to hear? I don't know. It just it just was it was different. It wasn't like this boring white bread thing. Uh, but yeah, it was super straight and it kind of had this like dumb narrative about loneliness, but it was just a goofy little story about a volcano who wanted a companion. Like, it's okay. Not the end of the world. But he's supposed to feel like the end of the world. But it's not that they're have- telling him he's supposed to feel that way. He just does cuz he's all alone and he sees well, everybody else coupling around him. Yeah, well, but but the message to the audience is, if you don't find someone you're going to feel like shit. No, it isn't. The message is, if you're patient and you keep hope, things good things will happen for you. But isn't that itself perpetuating this idea that you have to be in a relationship in order to be happy? No, it's perpetuating the idea if you are hopeful and you want something. I guess I didn't see it as purely about being about relationships. I mean, that's what the story was about. But I thought it was more about hope and patience than it was about relationships. And Because uh, he was totally fine, you know, dying. Like, he was okay with it. It wasn't like that he it wasn't like he was like, "Oh, I can't die yet. I don't have my companion and I'm so lonely." Like it was more of like he was like, "Okay, I accept this. Things happen he, for a reason." He didn't look like he was accepting it. He looked like he was wallowing in self, but he looked like me. All right. Well, I guess I just didn't bring in a bunch of like stuff into it, but I just I thought it was about patience and 
perseverance, but I mean, Sorry, I'm, I'm the it's, worst. it's it's objective. I'm not gonna like get mad at you for bringing your own feelings into it. That's how we all approach art. I've not seen it. I can't. I didn't like. I didn't love it. I just didn't think it was as uh, negative as you guys. <laughs> did, okay, so how did we feel about Inside Out? Oh, I loved it. Inside Out was good, and this is from someone who hasn't liked a Pixar movie in a long time. <laughs> Why don't you like Up, Matt? <laughs> Because Up's bullshit. Like, no. it's got a great ten minutes, uh, and then it just no. devolves into, the like, incongruous nonsense. It's I'm so, not having this debate again. It's so, This debate needs to be recorded and no. set right, for the you world. Guys can have no, it. I'm not going to. I don't want to talk about Up. Oh. I'd actually, I'd, I'd rather talk about, like, Disney Animation Studios, because they actually make good movies, I mean, as opposed to <laughs> Pixar's dumb well, nostalgia bait for adults bullshit. Why don't we just talk about... Inside Out, which was like a really <laughs> nice look at memory. Because Jackson hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, in like, general, <laughs> without spoiling it, it's like, I like how it accepts that, like, things are still open-ended when it comes to emotion and things can't always be perfect and that growing up is just really hard. I liked it a lot. Uh, the more that I think about it, the more that I think about it, I think some of the Exposition is a little clunkier than I would like, but other than that, I think yeah, it's not—it's not the best story. They could have done a little better with some of the bigger moments of the film. But I liked the—I always like stuff that takes place dealing with like subconsciousness and dreams. And I really like the idea of your mind being this like giant series of marbles that contain all of your memories and things. Yeah, like, I really liked that system. I thought that was really cool. Is it better than Osmosis Jones, though? I've never seen that. Is that that gross Bill Murray movie with Chris Rock? I mean, Bill Murray's in, like, ten minutes of it, but yes. But, like, every time he's in it, it's disgusting. Yes. Yeah, that's why I never saw that movie. Because, like, I watched the trailer and I was like, well, that would just make me barf all the time. It's a pretty good movie. (laughs) Says you. It's a fucking buddy cop movie with Chris Rock. How could it be bad? It, it just looked gross. Did you see Top 5? Yes. yes. Top 5 is Yeah, perfect. Top 5 is excellent. Almost perfect. <laughs> it's not perfect, but yeah, it's no, great. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> there's just, like, it's like two things that ruin it, but if those things weren't in it, it would be the most perfect movie. It's still one of the best movies I saw last year. So. <laughs> Far and away, but when those moments I, happen, they're like so incongruous. You're like, oh, 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 phew, we passed that. Passed that. Moving on. <laughs> the scene of... I, that stuff doesn't bother me as much as it did either of you, so... Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it didn't bother me in the sense that, like... I mean, it was kind of one of those things, like, I expected it, so I wasn't surprised when it happened. I was like, oh, yeah, of course it's there's going to be some, like, yucky stuff, because Chris Rock isn't, you know, he's not the most mm-hmm. uh, enlightened human being, but, like, for what it was, it was great. I, w- I was debating on whether it was worth spending money to rent it from Redbox. Have you not seen it? I have not seen it. Oh, go watch Kyle, it. Kyle, go watch Go If watch you like uh, Stardust Memories, you'll love this movie. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty much Chris Rock doing Stardust Memories. Yeah, like, he even mm-hmm. borrows a scene or two from it. I haven't watched... Uh, many movies because I, I did have a thing at a website writing and I was like, oh, I don't have the time. And then apparently after I stopped that, I stopped watching movies. Wait, what What happened? Wait, you stopped writing for that website? Yeah, I stopped writing for the website because I didn't have the time and they weren't paying me anything. So Wait, I like, couldn't what are you justify doing? What else are you doing in your life? F- hey, mom. 
He's <laughs> <laughs> got that Patreon. He's writing uh, the Patreon almost every day. I'm doing the stuff with abnormal mapping. Uh, I'm doing more creative writing and preparing for my degree. I'm doing a lot, but oh um, yeah, I didn't mean for that to sound accusatory. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh. It, I I meant like I I thought that was the main thing that you were doing. No 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 that was always a side thing and I just couldn't justify the time to it. Uh, but what's that Patreon? Um, get paid like people pay you for when you do a free thing. Like every time I write an article, people who have pledged to pay me pay me what they pledged to pay. It's, it's a, like it's, being a patron. Yeah. Is it worth it? I mean, I mean, if you if want to, an, if you have an audience and want to fund like articles or a video series or a podcast, it's the thing to use. Yeah, because it's like an, it's like instead of a Kickstarter, that's one thing. It's ongoing. It's like you pay for every single one made. Or so monthly. he gets money once a month. Yep, I get money once a month, and it's, it's like not that much because I'm not that popular or anything. But it's more than that other website was paying me, so it's the one I write for. And he writes quality stuff, so oh, it's thank totally you. worth it. Oh so yes, I mean I've, I've read and your stuff. It was just a matter of like I, like I'm just I'm talking not... to the listener. The listener. Oh okay. Should but... check out Jackson's Patreon <laughs> before this turned into advertising for me hour. Uh, I was <laughs> trying to say that as soon as that like ha- the for work side of it went away, I just stopped watching movies apparently for a while i stopped watching movies for almost two years when the work side of it went away from me so i I, understand i know (laughs) um and that made watching this month's movie club movie pretty good because oh right movies they are cool but i think the only film i've watched since girlhood is lord of the rings fellowship of the ring so yeah extended edition yeah come on i'm not a monster (laughs) (laughs) i make good choices with my life and my time. Uh, that's still excellent. That's my favorite Little Rings movie. You live in London. I don't know if that's a good choice. Um, what's a good choice about London? What? Fellowship is not the best movie, Jackson. Yes, it is. No. Yes, it is. No. Mm-hmm. Which one is Fellowship? The first, first one. one. The are second you, one is nah. better. No! Uh, are you, are you a, Two, Towers, Two Towers Extended Edition game. specifically is the best Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, which is... <laughs> Because the Two Towers theatrical edition is the worst Lord of the Rings movie. It's fascinating that that happened. The Two Towers Lord of the Rings extended edition drags so much in the middle. Uh, only if you have bad taste. <laughs> the bit where it like stops a half an hour for a flashback with Aragorn. It's not a half hour. It's like a seven minute scene. Jesus Christ. Okay, it must have been something to do with that. I'll watch it again one day. Maybe if I'm wrong, I'll hold my hands up and say I'm wrong. But... Uh, the, it won't change my opinion from Fellowship being my favorite because I, I mean Fellowship is like the the most faithful adaptation in terms of those three movies. So mm-hmm. like I, I have a lot of fondness for it. Yeah, um, the stuff I like in Fellowship is I I like the adventure movie vibe of it more than I like the stuff. Maybe you should just read Lord of the Rings. Yeah, apparently because I... uh, that's what I want. Uh, I, I really like Twin Towers a lot. Twin Towers? Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! No, uh, I really like Two Towers a lot. Uh, look, Welcome re- to every joke of 2002 for Lord <laughs> of the Rings nerds. Oh, God, that must have been a good time. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think Return of the King is disappointing. It's my actual Lord of the Rings opinion. Two great movies and then one movie that's, like, half good at the end. 
Mm, I, you know, I, I do like two, 2003 me be willing to agree with you, but seeing what Peter Jackson's done after that, no, okay, it's pretty okay, good. Okay, no, you're right. You are absolutely right. But <laughs> there's like that that first battle goes on forever at the city at Minas Tirith. And it doesn't really do anything. And then he goes and gets some ghosts. You're like, what? And they're still dealing with... The the pacing in that last movie is so off. No, nothing happens for two hours. That's because the book, they, they're, they're adapting half of a book. I know. I just, it, has, it has all the problems that the Hobbit trilogy does. Mm-hmm. But like, and somehow they still managed to make like the line with Legolas, like their relationship, Legolas and Gimli's relationship, hollow by the end. They don't actually put any work into it because there's too many fight scenes. Because Legolas is a terrible character. <laughs> okay, that's not not true. I agree. Jared Tolkien agrees. <laughs> he, wrote, he wrote explicitly that Legolas was the most useless member of the Yellow, of the Fellowship. So. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, he just kind of walks around and goes. He goes, I can see further and I know more, but I'm not going to share that with you because I'm an elf. At some, he, he gets buddy with... Does he get buddy with Gimli in the books or is that a... No, no, that's films? totally in the books. Okay. Uh, anyway, that's that's my Lord of the Rings opinions for today. I guess we've just talked enough. Who wants to talk about this month's movie? I Matt. guess I should introduce it since I picked it. Yes, please do. So uh, we watched Picnic at Hanging Rock, which is a 1979 Australian movie by Peter Weir. Um, I picked this because Destiny has been talking about it for as long as I've known her, even though she'd never seen all of it. Um, so she can fill you in on that. But uh, <laughs> I like I like mysteries. I like movies about women. Uh, I like period dramas. So how would I not love this movie? It seemed like the perfect thing. Uh, so I just picked it on, on basically on whim to be perfectly honest with you. That's all I got. Destiny. Uh, yeah. Destiny. Tell me about your <laughs> take you, half yeah. watching picnic at hanging rock. Um, about four or five years ago, I rented this and I was like, I'm going to sit and watch it. It uh, was something that <laughs> looked really pretty. And I had, you know, a lot of, uh, filmmakers that I, keep track of were heavily inspired by Sofia Coppola mainly and I was have you not seen The Virgin Suicides? Not in a very long time not since like high school the whole like opening credit sequence with the girls reading the poems and Uh, being all freely in Victorian the, uh, the Victorian femininity is a big like thing that she throws into that movie with the prayer cards just the whole aesthetic of virgin suicides is picnic at hanging rock in american suburbia and then uh even marie antoinette kind of borrows its color palette because a lot of it's based on like this um i don't know what i don't know my art very well but there's just this sort of european painting vibe to all of it but anyway uh and I think my mother had just died, so I was really, 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 really sad. So, like, when the movie starts, and these girls disappear, and you've got, like, a bunch of people just waiting their return, and you don't know if they're ever going to come back, I couldn't handle the tension of that. So I just turned it off and never went back until now. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's fair enough. It, it, it does get very tense. And I'm glad I went back to it because I, you know, I've healed since that time, like uh, as much as you can heal from losing someone. And it's actually a much weirder movie than I remember it being. It's moody in this way that I did not realize before. And that tension, it still exists because you don't know, like, where they've gone or if they're coming back. But it's not as heartbreaking. I feel like the movie... Um, I don't know. It didn't go that deep for me on that level. I, f- I feel like it's got more in common with like a horror movie's approach to uh, a mystery than a drama. Right. And then like, just to... I hate to talk so much, but I just want to add It's that, a podcast. Uh, <laughs> well, I, just, I don't know. I don't want to hog, hog nah, the chat. We're all going to get on this soon. <laughs> um, also, like, just the fact that, like, it, to me, I would have loved more scenes of these girls at the school before the disappearance. So you get a, you get an idea of their personalities, you get an idea of their relationships and the kind of people that they are, because the movie kind of, it starts with them leaving for the trip uh, to Hanging Rock, and then the incident happens, and then you see the aftermath of that incident. And uh, without, like, significant ties to, like, who the individual missing characters are, it all just seems really uh, just flimsy and, like, it slips through your hands like sand, like, all their different identities. And then, like, there's this weird fixation on the pretty one, Miranda, and uh, that's really weird because you don't know anything about her other than she's gay for Sarah and Sarah's gay for her and she's pretty so that was a little odd but i know that there's some there's some stuff to be said about repression and sexuality like there's a reason this is set in victorian australia but anyway uh does anybody else have uh anything to add um i want to state that as we're about half an hour into this when i said this is the most anime movie i've ever seen in okay. the array yep. of like button-up girls who might be in love with each other, but not in any way that's ever going to be expressed, but all of them have some defining personality characteristic, and then they're all kind of sad, and then it's like dreamy, but in like this really like psychosexual repressed way. Uh, that was great when it turned into the uh, two cowboys looking around for these girls who they were clearly boning while those girls are climbing that rock, but they don't refer to that for the rest of the movie, and that bums me out. Uh, <laughs> the, there is no scene as like suggestive as them swapping that wine bottle, and the first time he wipes off the like the bottle when he gets it, and then the second time he doesn't, he just takes a swig. Like, oh, I agree. They're fucking. So, <laughs> the original Buckback Mountain. Um... I don't like. I like the first half of this movie a lot, but as it like devolved into like plot machinations, I feel like I was actually ended up being kind of bored by the second half of it, and I feel bad about that because this movie feels made for me. But I'm going to come down on the side of kind of being mad about the whole thing. Um, I was a little more positive, I guess. Um, I think it has. I, I think it vacillates between this very interesting, earthy quality of its suspense. And then, then switches to a much more surreal, heightened 
I feel like it uses some electronic music almost um, for its for its tension. So I thought that was interesting. And I always feel that the mark of a good mystery is that the plot doesn't matter and it's about getting to know the characters. Um, and while we don't get to know, as Destiny pointed out, the, the girls before they went missing very well, um, getting to know the their surroundings are surroundings and, and the mark of a good mystery is i think that the plot doesn't ever really matter kind of like the big sleep it's really about getting to know the characters um and, and occasionally maybe the machinations of how interpersonal relationships af- affect the plot trajectory but the the solution i guess is is not the thing that's the end goal and so while i think there's some of that in in picnic at hanging, hanging rock we don't really get as destiny like out we don't really get to know who these girls were prior to the disappearance and i don't think they had distinctive enough personalities for me to remember who anyone was because they they were all blonde weren't they they were all white and blonde girls almost all of them yeah um except for the one who is um not i guess conventionally attractive um i guess is that wrong is that rude I mean, the whole movie has this weird, like, thing where it's like, she's the dumpy one. Yep, they call her the dumpy one at a point, and it's like... Well, her. Her, and, and anyway, we don't really get to know who these who these people are, but the after they disappear and whatnot, we do get a sense of what the community is like and how they're, inter- how they're reacting um, with regards to the personal stakes, I guess, the stakes of the school, um, the reputations and whatnot. Which I think is interesting, but I feel that the film is a little too married to this idea of there being a solution that you can't solve. So, in a way, the solution does matter only to to frustrate the audience, um, as opposed to The Big Sleep, where I don't think the solution matters at all, and the fact that the audience gets frustrated has nothing to do with the intentions of what the film is doing. Does that any of that make any sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if I agree that, like, the intent was to frustrate. I feel like it was more about the point was that there was no real solution, and everybody, like, in the movie is frustrated about it, and it, like, torments them, and they all think maybe it's something, you know, that they could have prevented, but really it's like, no, this is, you know, Mother Nature, this is like this country that we you know we're here but do we really understand it we're like trying so hard to be england that we haven't like merged like where we are with who we are and like there's like a weird frustration there and also like the characters who should have the answers don't remember anything like this, the quote-unquote dumpy girl and Irma who were, you know, they find her and she comes back to the school and instead of, like, being happily greeted, they pretty much chase her out of the room when they're begging to know what happened. Um, and then, like, it, it just, I don't know, something about having been to Hanging Rock, like, it makes everyone different. Like, it gives that guy dreams about his missing sister. I think his name was Albert. Um, the uh, girls seem more 
like there's all all this hinting around that like it had something to do like they had removed their clothing or that something about it there was a sexual underlying something or other going on and like i don't know i i think that like i can understand it being a frustrating experience but i think it was more about the tension that happens when you know you can't control something i guess that's what i'm trying to say like that loss of control is unwinding and um and i kind of i think i knew going in that there was no happy ending uh well, so I, I don't I don't mean I was not personally frustrated because I, I usually don't care about what what the solution is, but I felt that other people would be very frustrated, and I and I, I had this impression that that was somewhat intentional mm. to provoke the audience to be provocative. Uh, I think a little bit, but I kind of side uh, with Destiny a bit more in the the like the movie. Every single character that wants to find out what happened is destroyed by that urge, like mm. consistently. And yeah, I, the police officer, mm. the I mean everybody. Like I don't have to name characters, I guess. Yeah, like it happens to everyone, and the the I said like I don't. I think it's more purposeful than just to get a rise out of the audience. Oh no, I'm not saying that is the only reason. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I, I feel tones of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically for me, I like. I think the colonial narrative is like really important to this. I mean, Destiny touched on a little bit, but the whole point is not that the. I don't think it's that the rock itself has like magic powers that change people's perceptions. It's that these interlopers to this world think it does, mm-hmm. and that's enough that they build this mythos out of this place that they don't live. Like, it's like this alien world to them and they project this sort of like otherworldliness to it. And like the vision of like the teacher taking off her skirt is like this very clear, like almost like tribalist narrative to have like this fever dream. And all of that like builds into this state of like hysteria induced by this, like otherness to their environment that they feel like there's this friction that they try to impose order on and order comes from understanding. And if you just like the mystery is enough to tip over an already like precarious balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the movie doesn't go to great lengths to like to get you to know everyone because it's kind of, it's less about characters and more about this uniformity of repressed Victorian women who can't take off their gloves until they have permission. Like you're far enough away from the school that you can take your gloves off. And you know, uh, the, the police officer don't tell him that she didn't have, was it her corset that was missing? And the woman says, "Eh, it's probably not important. Don't, 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 don't tell him that that's embarrassing for her. Uh, um, yeah, there's definitely this sort of, I mean, it's, it's, super implied and I'll admit like I I think I did read a quote from I think it was Ebert himself about like I hadn't even thought of it from that angle until I read that Ebert kind of saw it as this thing about Australians not understanding like they were non like uh, like one of the inherent things about being a white Australian is that you're not actually a native Australian if that makes sense because it's not your land 
so the movie almost seems to be about people just up against a space that isn't theirs and in trying to control it it makes them ill um one of the things that brought me to that conclusion was I told Destiny when we were watching it, I thought this was a British movie, and I thought that it was implying that, like, the mountain was, like, about druids or something, like, a very, like, traditional cultural magic, and that it wasn't that, and, like, that friction of my, like, in, like, the idea that I had for it versus what it was, I think, kind of points down that road. Mm-hmm. And also, like, uh, the other context I had for this movie going in, uh, there's this really great movie called Ozploitation. It's a documentary about Australian exploitation film. And it's pointed out, like, they kind of go through the history of Australian cinema, that this movie was, like, the first Australian film to really make it big all around the world. Like, it was a huge critical darling, uh, and it was just, like, it pretty much paved the way for the Australian film industry to get a lot of attention. And um, watching it now, I'm kind of like, surprised like this was the one but i think it was that overall theme of like just this sort of um mystery mixed with this colonialist narrative and then you've got the repressed femininity or not femininity but the feminine sexuality combined with like this like sort of we'll pretend to be something we aren't sort of because i think it's very very intentional that this movie is set in this Victorian era and that it is very like about, I don't know anything about Australian history other than like the British connection. And like, I don't know what it was like in 1900s Australia, but you know, like I could uh, get that. I don't, I'm kind of losing my point, but uh that that whole like well we'll just mimic the British because that's where they're civilized and and the rest of this place isn't like that's, that's super intentional I'm pretty sure the movie was self aware about all of those things and that makes it quite masterful as far as like whether or not it like pulls it off I'll have to admit yeah it kind of drags after the uh, initial like maybe the first half hour it does drag a bit and then the ending is really abru- abrupt. Um, so overall, I don't know, like, I, I think I, I liked it a lot, but I, I can't say that I absolutely loved it. I like the visuals of it more than I like the plot. Mm-hmm. I, um, like, I think the first 30 minutes are this just really well executed tonal build as this just repressed a scene of all these girls in the school uh, builds up to this one moment where everything kind of bursts but nothing really happens uh, and this, like the cut from uh, the girl on the rock watching the girls disappear to just night time and everyone like, like that's the moment that every single person in that movie breaks and there's no going back after that uh, but once that point has happened the, like the, the stuff the movie's about like subtextually is really uh, important, but it doesn't. It's it's like it's too general to really um, bind into what the movie like it's happening. So like the plot things are just kind of happening a lot. Like people are getting destroyed by this uh, like need to control their environment and their need to understand it when it's like foreign to them. But the actual events of what's happening are not the most interesting things. After no, the it's like really gripping first 30 minutes. 
And when it turns into like movie plot plot movie, it kind of uh, becomes re- like it's really generic. And um, I thought that the suicide murder mystery bit at the very very end was kind of mm-hmm. eye rolly. Uh, for me, it's a problem of like tonal shifts. Like the first, like we said, yeah. the first tw- thirty minutes is like very gauzy and very dreamlike, and then. Towards the end, it returns to that on paper, but it does it through almost like a painterly Jallo-inspired interpretation. Like, you think of something like, uh, was it Suspiria that takes place in a school also? Yeah. And kind of these bubbling tensions of these characters. The problem is that if something like Suspiria builds through dream logic and, uh, like, a lot of visual like rich visual imagery to create that sort of tension and picnic and hanging rock kind of still rides on that absence of like actual content to provide like just an empty sense of dread. And I don't think it works through being like, so not explicit. I think you have to build more because basically it's a movie with two crescendos and the second one isn't nearly as fulfilling as the first. And on some level, you might argue maybe that's the point that, oh, like everything that happens after it can't be as good as the thing or as impactful as the thing that like precipitated all these events. But uh, as someone who's watching a movie, like if the second crescendo is not as good as the first, I'm going to remember liking the first half of the movie more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Does Kyle have anything? No, I I agree. I think what you you have some very interesting insights that I was um, unaware of when I was watching. Although I do think the class stuff is pretty interesting, like having that young girl uh, who can't afford to be at the school essentially being sent back to the orphanage because I I believe that is actually a mark on the reputation of the school rather than as um, an, an actual um, issue that they they would. Well, she, she's also someone who doesn't, like, play into what the school wants them to yeah. be. She's she's dark-haired. She um, doesn't... She's not as performatively feminine as everyone else. She refuses to learn the poems that, that the other girls have to learn. She's writing her own she, poetry. Yeah, she's writing her own poetry, yeah. She's writing her own poetry, um, and she's very clearly of a, of a different class. Um, which I, I thought was a pretty interesting, kind of a, a refusal to play into this illusory... Like, Destiny, I think, said you said that they were trying so hard to be England, but I think she is the only one that recognizes that they are not England. Yeah, she's definitely someone who... Like, her status as an orphan is kind of like... Oh, everybody knew it. It wasn't like a thing that she was necessarily ashamed of, and then they slowly like turn it into something she needs to be ashamed of, and then she kind of refuses to like take that in, and then she kind of well, she's punished for it in the end. Well, because I feel like when the girls disappear, and the, like that's the needle that punctures all of this British repression. Uh, because they their response is to just need to control everything and make sure that they know what's happening. She is like the first victim of that, as this representation in their community of the fact that they uh, have already like let other ways of thinking in, and she needs to be gotten rid of as quickly as possible. And like that conflict is what leads 
to um, what's the headmaster's name? Headmistress' name? Appleby. Appleby, yeah. Because that's what leads to her, like packing up and going, at the end. Yeah, that. Well, and also that she kills that kid. Like, ugh. Um, mm-hmm. and goes back to the rock afterward. Like that was the most interesting thing to me. That she goes back to the rock. Yeah, the after she does this horrible thing, because the there's that voiceover that says she they found her body at the bottom of the rock, and it's like, well, why did she go back? Because it wasn't enough. Like, no, it didn't she kill, solve the problem. She killed, it didn't... like, the stuff with her and Sarah, like, Sarah wasn't anything to do with anything, but it was the perfect avatar to put all of this, like, turmoil on, and when that doesn't work, she knows she has to go to the rock. And that's, that's it for her. That's totally true. She's trying to figure out, like, why this thing chose to tear her life apart. Because you notice she's less worried about the missing kids than she is about the school losing money and losing students because people start pulling their kids out when they hear about the situation. And then she like has that weird breakdown where she's having her dinner with uh, the jumpy teacher Mm -hmm. and she starts talking about how much she misses the, uh, the math teacher that disappeared and she missed her masculine intellect and how nothing ever changed when uh, she visited Bournemouth, but Things around here change all the time. Ah, uh, don't go to Bournemouth. That's what she liked. She liked Bournemouth. And uh. I was trying to find that Ebert statement that I borrowed a lot of my thoughts from. Let me see if I can find it. It's on the Wikipedia page. He says that it's... um, Where'd it go? Ebert, Ebert, Ebert. Sorry, you guys talk while I'm looking for it. Oh, and her name's Appleyard. Appleyard, okay. <laughs> I knew it was Apple. Apple something, something hella British. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I found it. Um, the film's a critical success despite it, you know, having a mystery with a solution. Ebert called it a film of haunting mystery and buried sexual hysterica- hysteria and Mark remarked that it employs two of the hallmarks of modern Australian films, beautiful cinematography and stories about the chasm between settlers from Europe and the mysteries of their ancient new home. Just he, so you know. He's pretty clever, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Guy knows he what he's talking about. Talk. I love Ebert. Ebert good. Ebert good. Guy, <laughs> <laughs> He could write pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> he sure had the words. He sure did have those words. Uh, <laughs> um, the thing it reminded me of, which is only because I happened to read this recently, was um, that, uh, shit, what's the guy's name? That Jinji Ito manga that I read? A couple of uh, months ago, the one with the rocks, the the holes in the rocks that are shaped like people, like the like the fear that it's tapped into for me is the idea of this like unchanging ancient thing that you can't understand, but it compels you towards it, and that's scary. The thing you're looking for is the enigma of Amigara Fault. Yep, that's the one. Which I read that, and I shouldn't, because it's like one of the most terrifying things, uh, and this reminded me of that a lot. 
in. I mean, this doesn't devolve into body horror, but sure. <laughs> the body horror is not the scary part of that. I, I disagree, but okay. Uh, well, to me, it isn't. To me, this is the same core fear here. Maybe I just don't have the body horror thing as much. Oh, you read the thing about the weird fish. No, there's no fish. It's the one with the, the, the people-shaped holes in rocks. Oh, whoops, never mind. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong <laughs> uh, thing. No, there's the fish one, there's the rock one, there's the spiral one. These are the ones that I know. <laughs> I read the spiral ones. Those are great. They're really, really sad. Yeah. And gross. They're gross. They're so gross. <laughs> they're not <laughs> that gross. Oh, whatever. No, they're gross. They're, they're pretty gross. <laughs> like, it makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> Anyone got any final thoughts? Because I think I think we we did it. We talked the movie. Well done, everyone. I would recommend it. Like I think people should see it just because it's interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna say that it's not like I didn't like the second half very much. I still get why it's like a big like a movie that's well remembered, and I wouldn't say not to watch it. It is not my favorite Peter Peter Weir movie, but maybe maybe don't watch it on a sleepy Saturday. How about that? Yeah, that's <laughs> our mistake. I made that mistake too. I watched it bright and alert this morning. So, but yeah, no. If you want to go watch Master Commander instead, go do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I was or hoping you'd pick up show. on that. I love the Truman Show. Or Oh, Master on, Commander. <laughs> we, we, we don't get many opportunities to mark out about how great Master Commander is. Master Commander is a great movie. Oh, okay. it's the second best Star Trek movie. You, you know, I would consider it the third best. Oh, third, yeah. sorry, yes. Third. <laughs> the top three Star Trek movies in which only two of one of them is a Star Trek movie. This also wow. is the time to remind everyone that Ebert hated Peter Weir's uh, 1989 film Dead Poet Society because he was like, the students don't learn anything, but the viewers do, and that doesn't make any sense. I also don't like Dead Poet Society. <laughs> that movie changed my life as a teen. I oh, bet man. it did. <laughs> it turned me into like the most like airy-fairy poetry-spouting weirdo. Mm-hmm. I don't even care. I was I, showing I think- it at, at like... At by subs in high school, and I hated it. I'm oh, past the... I'm, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just lucky that I uh, saw it as a kid without any of that outside influence. Yep, I passed, oh, was... I've passed the point where I that could have like, never seen it. In, yeah, I've never seen it. I've passed the point where it could have that big an effect on me. Either way, so I'll probably watch it one day and be like, that was a movie. Uh, <laughs> no, you, you specifically would probably really hate it. Or would I really like it? Maybe I don't think I don't think you'd get over the classes stuff in that movie. Oh God, it's the one in the British high school, isn't it? The, is it well, no? It's, it's not British. Oh, but it is in oh, like I, a... the teacher's English. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> fuck! No, that's okay. Yeah, right. Yep, I despise that because of where I went to school. Yeah, <laughs> but it's got baby it, it... Ethan Hawke and it's got um. The, the ridiculous uh, beat poetry rap scene. Sure, uh, but it's also a movie explicitly about how cool it is to learn when you have all of the means to do so. That's true. I'll give you that. It's all about, like, seize the day because you're privileged. And it's like, I love it when a rich British person comes in and tells me how things are. It's my favorite thing. Well, it's, it's not a rich British person. person it's Robin Williams and his, his Walt Whitman books. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh 
But um, there, there were even elements in this movie where I was like, oh, that's similar to my grammar school. Fuck. What hell did I go to? Like, it, it, a thousand degrees removed, but we had the thing with, like, uniforms so strict that we would have to wait for, like, formal orders before we could remove certain items of clothing. Wow. Yeah, it, only when it goes to us... When we were allowed to take off our ties, we they would institute something called shirt sleeve order, <laughs> which, meant, <laughs> which meant you could take off your tie and wear short sleeves. Um, oh my god, we no. can't talk about this. <laughs> I just wanted to make you all sad for a moment there. That's the end of that. But it's the worst. Uh, so, next month movie, then the plug zone. Next month movie is my choice. I picked it on a whim because it's something I w- have been meaning to see for a while. Uh, going to watch Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Yeah, yes! Yeah, girl. <laughs> Love it. Okay. One of the best movies ever. All right. Glad that went down okay. well. I, I mean, if you don't like it, we're just going to shout at each other because it's one of my favorite movies. So. I, 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 one of my absolute favorite movies. All right, good. I'm so excited. I got a question. I, yes. Which version are we watching? The, the good one. I have it on DVD. The one I have on DVD, yeah. Yeah, the one I have on DVD. Well, no, no, I mean, there. I believe it comes on the DVD, but there are two versions. There's the fade the, to white versions only on the Blu-ray, which I don't think any of us have. Oh, okay, never mind. I'm the only one that has that. Yep. Yep. And you know what's hilarious? I paid, like, Blu-ray prices for that DVD because I bought it at a frickin' Borders. Unwatched. Just a blind buy. Because I was like, this movie looks cool. <laughs> and uh, I had, like, disposable income, apparently. And it was at the time because I was pretty young. Great nice. movie. But, really no, excited to watch it. It's yep. one of my favorites. I think it's... I always go back and forth between that and Old Boy is my favorite of the Vengeance trilogy. Oh, it's no contest for me. Sympathy for Lady you know, Vengeance. Old all Boy's, day, every day. Old Boy's the only one I've seen. Maybe I'll watch that again because when I watched that I was a bit younger and way more susceptible to Oh, holy shit! The thing happened! Uh, <laughs> I like that movie a oh, lot. But I feel like I, what Lady Vengeance great. is about just... Uh, it hits me way harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll watch that whole trilogy, but because you don't need to, we'll talk about Lady Vengeance. But I want to watch those movies. So yeah, I haven't seen the actual whole trilogy in years, so um, maybe that'd be going back to. Mm-hmm. I need to rewatch Mister Vengeance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one I have not seen since the one time I rented it way back in the day f- from a blockbuster. Remember those? Wow, <laughs> I haven't seen it since my sophomore year of high school. <laughs> when I watched the whole Vengeance trilogy in one day. <laughs> yeah, I watched them in a like a three week period. Like I just went back. Like I rented one, rented the other one, and then I had already seen Lady Vengeance. I think I'm pretty sure I bought that one, and I watched them out of order. So I don't know. My memory is fuzzy. Wow, that's the choice for next month. Uh, Good choice. Yeah, thank you. The plug zone now. Where can we find you, Destiny? At Fridge Buzz now on Twitter. BadlandGirls.com and um, I'm on a couple of podcasts with you, but I guess you can plug them. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, Kyle, where you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tyle Kerner, T-Y-L-E-K-U-R-N-E-R. I write around the internet um, and you can find my writerly offerings at TyleKerner.tumblr.com and I'm also assistant editor at Movie Mezzanine and I also do a podcast called Media Query, which is under renovation right now, and I won't answer now, but we'll talk about it later. 
exciting things are happening. There's an exciting thing happening. Um, and also, I'm trying to get up, get uh, Cinema Paradiso, a podcast project where I want to talk about the diverse voices of film criticism up off the ground. Nice. So that is also a thing. Yeah, I think that's it. Matt, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at Twitter, at LitRock. Uh, I I guess I'm the official host of Abnormal Mapping podcast about video games. You can find AbnormalMapping.com. There's writing by Jackson. There's videos that go up basically every day because I don't know what we're doing. But it's good. Check out the podcast <laughs> at the very least. It's the best thing that I make. Yep. Abnormal Mapping is the best thing that Matt and I do. It's great. Please listen to it. Because no one does. It's very sad. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Headfalls Off. You can find my writing just collected at headfallsoff.com if you want to see anywhere I've written. And we do, me and Destiny do a podcast about mental health called Goof Zone, which is two episodes in and it's great and it's only getting better every time. So, yeah. Look for that on my Twitter feed. It's The website's going up this weekend. So, there Finally. we go. Finally. This was a moment of confident and assured hosting, Matthew. I will I'm take just, none I'm, of your I'm shit. I was just thinking about how I can't wait to have an actual podcast feed to subscribe to. I know. I know. I haven't listened to it yet. It's good. It's good. And the next one's going to be even better. We have notes every time because it's how we do. If I like how it, I'm not on it. You know it's good. Whatever. <laughs> oh, that's true. I'm impressed by your modesty, Matt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Most people are. <laughs> I've been told that a time or two by a person or two. I don't yeah. know. I try not to think about it too much. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the end of this podcast. <laughs> I just cut it there. <laughs> 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 Great. All right, that's done.